The following For the City Church sermon is part of our summer sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising, entitled Under the Sun from the Book of Ecclesiastes. We hope you enjoy it. The Book of Ecclesiastes is, is not the kind of book that you're going to read and, t- and you get to the end and, and now you have all the answers of all of life's big questions. The mystery novel is solved. If, if that's what you want, we've got three more sermons counting this one. You're going to be highly disappointed in the next three sermons because that's, that's not the case. But I, but I got to tell you, because um, you, you're not going to get all the answers of all the struggle, but we do have the Word of God. Ecclesiastes is not the only book in the Bible. Because <laughs> there's been times we've been going through this. It's very challenging. It seems to, like we talked about last time, paradox, almost contradict, even though it doesn't. But, but it leaves us almost at times with more questions than it does answers. But what it does is it validates a lot of our thinking at times. Like, yeah, that's, I've looked at that through life, and it doesn't seem right. Um, but, but here's the thing. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. Our desire to control makes us want all the answers, right? Um, but what it means to follow Christ, let's say, into the deep end of the pool is, is to know, and you're going to learn this throughout the, the, the Gospel of Luke, which we're going to begin here in about three weeks, is that discipleship's a, a journey, right? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, if you want to say it's a destination, you could, but it's, it's the person of Christ, right? So from moment one that you begin to follow Christ, you're in Christ, Christ is in you, 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 have, you have arrived, <laughs> in a sense. Now, he's not done working with you because he's going to continue to make you more like himself, right? But justification or, or salvation happens in an instant, the moment you believe, but you don't get all your answers in that moment. You get the main answer, the thing you need to know, and that is Jesus is a great Savior, and I'm a great sinner, and I need saved. And if you got that, well, you're on your journey. And, um, and so we're going to cover a chunk of text. I'm not going to read it all. You've already heard it read. You can follow along. I'll give you the verses where we're at. But you're going to hear that, that Solomon or preacher or coalesce teacher He's covering a lot of themes that he's already covered. So if you're like, well, I haven't been here all summer. Sorry, follow back up at the beginning of the sermon series. You can listen online. But for those who have, you're going to hear a lot of the same themes. But I think what you're going to notice is, is this theme of homesick. This theme of homesick, right? Have you ever been homesick? I thought about this. Um, I, I don't know that I really have. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to get home from a business trip, right? Or, you know, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Boy, it'll sure be nice to see my friends and family. I don't think I've ever really been real homesick to come home. But I think of my dad, my dad and my mom. My dad was 18. My mom was 16 when they got married. She quit school. You shouldn't do that, but she did. They got married. They were married for 50-some years, right? When they went to their little honeymoon, and, and they went to Niagara Falls and came back because they were broke. They didn't have any money. My dad had been working since he was 13, but didn't have a lot of cash. Comes back, and he has draft papers waiting to go to Nam, right? So he leaves. She's 16. They're married. And she's like, there goes my husband. Off the basic and gone. So he was there for about a year. Long story short, my mom gets pregnant. He gets sent overseas. And he was there for years. And he was talk about how homesick he was to be with his wife and to be with his kid that he never met for a year, right? And I remember hearing the stories of my dad just longing to be home. Man, if you can get that, you get really at the heart of of this text. (laughs) You can just feel Solomon longing for things to be right. Because right now, as he looks at this enigmatic world, this mystery of life under the sun, right? Under the sun, he just can't make sense of it. And so verses 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9 of Ecclesiastes, I think what you see is that God's people are longing for the king of kings. I wouldn't say that's the main purpose in what he's saying. This is going to be a good sermon when we get to judgment. (laughs) (laughs) If you hear that thunder... Oh, man, I'm ready to preach. But anyway, um, <laughs> I got to stay focused. Lord, help me. Okay, God's people are longing for the king of kings. That's not explicit in here. Let's look at just a little bit of this verse. Who is like the wise, he asks. This is how he starts off. And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face changed. 
I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his, his presence. He's talking about an earthly king, by the way. Do, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he, this king, does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. We don't get this. We don't really get this because the president doesn't have that kind of authority. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the politics of how our government works. If you don't understand it, you should. But, but that's not how it works. But when, the, when the king says something, in this day and time, it, it's, it's not open for debate. And he's talking about submission to this king. He's talking about you should go into this, this, this king's presence with some, some reverence, with some awe. When you hear the verdict, if you don't like the verdict, don't just go running, right? Because that would not be wise. It's disrespectful to the king and someone might chase after you, right? He, he's talking about submitting yourself to a king is, is wisdom. It's, it's wisdom. But, but listen, if we're real, it, to submit yourself to, we, first off, Americans don't like submission. It is like a naughty word for us, right? It's, I mean, it's in us. We didn't submit to the king. And then we came over here, right? Like, and if you grew up with like punk and like gangster rap, you definitely don't like it. You know, I could think of some lyrics. They're all bad about the, the authorities and things like that. We're not going to go there. But as a Christian, listen, that's not to be our heart, right? He's saying, submit yourself. This is wise. Now, there's a time where you don't submit to a tyrant. And it's any time that tyrant goes against the word of God. Because you have, that, that tyrant has a higher authority, and that authority is God. But really what he's saying is we're longing for righteousness. We're longing for a real king. Because why? Well, life is broken, and the world's hard. And being under the leadership of a tyrant makes everything more difficult, right? Tyrancy, or tyrant, um, it's a serious political problem throughout the world. If you understand anything about history, then you understand war. And if you understand war, that someone's saying that they want something that you have and they'll use might to get it. And they will use everyone and everything at their disposal to make sure they do. That's a tyrant, right? Um, tyrants control their country, right? Uh, but not for the common good of the people, but for their own private good. You see this in communism, for sure. Bad leaders cause unstable futures, right? Uh, war, death, oppression, and there's a dark cloud that hangs over all the people, leaving the citizens feeling very powerless, very hopeless on what's to come, right? And, and so a good king, that's, that's a good thing. But imagine being under horrible leadership. It might not be hard right, to imagine. And, and that's not a knock. I'm just saying that, that, that leadership's always, it's never perfect. I don't care who's in office on this side of eternity, right? Um, it makes things unstable. We're keenly aware of life and death. So then how is, what's the wise way to live? That's what he's trying to answer here. Well, one, we're to be people who seek to live peaceable lives, right? Submitting to the sovereignty of God, which means entrusting ourselves even to the leadership that's in charge of us or over us, right? Oh, we don't like this. But, but really, we understand that even that leadership is submitted. And even if they're not submitted, they are ruled over by a sovereign God who will have to answer for their leadership one day, right? And, and so ultimately what we're talking about is submitting ourselves as New Testament Christians, even though Solomon didn't have all this in his mind, to King Jesus. And what that means is to be a good citizen, by the way. So much of that means being a good citizen here, obeying the laws, the land, right? Obeying the police officers in, in the care, the governors, the mayor, the president, Unless they're explicitly going against something in Scripture, that's a wise thing to do. Well, how, how can you do that? Well, it takes a lot of grace. It takes a lot of Holy Spirit power. But we draw near to Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings in these moments, right? So that when we submit to an earthly, let's say, government, what we're doing is we're honoring Him. We're honoring Christ, right? Um, your future, by the way, Christian, those who are in Christ, your future is very secure, <laughs> It's, it's just so secure, right? Um, you're, it's, it, despite all the things that might be going on around you, the troubles and the uncertainties of life, your future, your ultimate future is absolutely secure. Why? Because it's in the hand of God. 
it's strange to think about. However, it's no less true. Godly wisdom, look what he says. It makes a difference in the way people look. That's what it says. Make your face shine, right? Biblical wisdom makes your face shine. Now, it's not like a glow bug, right? We're not talking Moses, right? We're not talking about Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Like, whoo, he's lightning boy, right? We're not talking about anything like that. But what he is saying is that your countenance looks different, right? Um, you can see this. True wisdom brings joy that changes everything, no matter your circumstances, um, including your appearance. Uh, science, ready for some science? 43 muscles to frown, 17 to smile. Right, so if you're just like, I don't know if I believe the Bible. Well, women should believe science. 43 to frown, right? By the way, God is God over science. It all points back to the truth that he is, right? 17 to smile. Think about people you've met throughout your life. You can tell if someone's carried all the world's burdens on their face and on their heart and in their life. Likewise, you can also tell someone who may have had a very hard life but has cast all their burdens upon the, the grace of God. I, I think of one man in particular, I won't say, because he probably listens to these sermons, and he'll be like, why did you say that? Um, this guy's face, it, it radiates a joy, even though I know he's had much suffering in his life. Oh, my goodness. His eyes say, God's got this. God's got me. I'm going to be okay right? And, and so he's not carrying at all, although I think he's carrying more than I can even imagine. But he, he's learned. He's learned to throw all his burdens at the, at the foot of the cross. He's learned to throw it at the throne of grace and receive help in his time of need. And therefore, what's happened is the joy of the Lord is, is his strength, right? Okay, so that's, that's what Solomon's saying here. If we're wise, we're going to cling to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, right? It's talking about how to live wisely under bad leadership. How do you do that? You draw near to God. Read First Peter, all of it. You see it over and over and over in that. Um, if you want to know how to live, you must go to Christ, which means going to his word, going to his word, not your feelings about his word, right? It's, it's actually going to the word and seeking to know him through his explicit teaching in the Bible, because he, he reveals himself to you, through the living word, right? And by his spirit. So the second point is, and you see this in 10 through 17, verses 8, 10 through 17, uh, chapter 8, 10 through 17, my apologies. God's people, listen, you're going to maybe not think this is true. You're ultimately longing for judgment. You are. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, in some sense, you're not. But, but I got to tell you, and if I were to press you in conversation, I guarantee you are if you're a Christian. And let me help you see it. You're going to see it. Let's start in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. Think about what he's saying. These are evil people. They go into town and everyone's praising them. Why? Because of fear, not because they're good people, right? But he says, this is also vanity. Because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily. He, he's, he's not happy that judgment and execution is not happening to the evil that's happening. The heart of the children of the man is fully set to do evil. He's talking all humans, by the way. This used to be, by the way, this is the easiest doctrine to prove. The easiest teaching of the Bible to prove is, is the depravity of humanity right? That all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are rebels against God. This is the easiest thing in the world to prove. Yet, now, it's amazing. Even Christians are saying, eh, I think there's some inherent basic good about humans. There's not. You're basically evil, and if any good comes from you, it's only because of God's grace and mercy. You don't even understand if God were to remove all the restraints that he puts in, in this good world that's fractured, it would be terrifying to think about. Most of you are too young to remember like the riots that happened in LA over Rodney King. But I'm going to tell you right now, at its worst moment, that's what humanity looks like on its best day. The reason it doesn't happen is because law restrains. It keeps you. Fear of punishment keeps you. But humanity to its core is wicked. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need to be redeemed. That's why we need to be born again. He says, but the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Ugh, don't you hate that? 
right? Have you ever just seen someone that just seems like, man, all they do is just terrible things, and yet they always turn out on the good side, right? You've seen it. I guarantee it. And and hopefully it drives you nuts. It should drive you nuts, but then you should also give that to the Lord. It's got to cause you questions. Why is it that this person seems like they're being blessed, even though they want nothing to do with God? Have you been there? But look what he says. Yet... I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Boy, there's some deep roots that run in this man that that keep drawing him back to the truth of God's word because they fear before him. You see it? What's he doing? He's he's longing for judgment. He wants to see things righted, right? So I'm not going to read the rest. You should. but, But listen, get it. On top of all the tyrants that are grinding us to a pulp, Now we see the visible problem that there's delayed judgment for these people, right? They're they're ruining people's lives, and yet nothing's happening. And all of this is very agonizing to the writer. He just wants justice. He wants to see it happen now, right? I think back to it. Some of you have heard the story. You'll have to hear it again. Sorry. Justice to want that's in us. Oh, it's so in us. I remember growing up, the first time I ever got a, a serious whacking in school was first grade. My mom was encouraging me to share and play well, and I wasn't good at either, right? So I had this friend named Sean, and Sean wanted to play with my G.I. Joes. And so I could hear my mom, share the G.I. Joe, share the G.I. Joe. Okay, great. So I'm ready to share them all, but not one, Snake Eyes. That's my favorite. You can't touch that, right? So what's he want to play with? Snake Eyes, because it's the coolest one. And he's like, can I play with that one? I hear my mom's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to please my mom. I want to be a good boy. Here, here you go, Snake Eyes. It's killing me to give him Snake Eyes. He takes Snake Eyes. He grabs it like a chicken wing or a little bone. He grabs both his legs. And if you're familiar with G.I. Joe's, there's a little band that holds those together. And he snaps it, and they go, poof. And all I thought about was rage. I didn't even know what rage was. But I grabbed. Now, by the way, if you can remember, I mean, some of you are too young. They used to give us building blocks. They weren't like these little Lincoln logs. These were like two by fours, right? And you would build things with them. And I picked it up and I, I just smashed him right over the head. It was not a good day for me or him. Um, <laughs> so I go to the office and I don't know what's going to happen. I never did anything like that before. I, it was just very instinctual. That came from within, right? Um, I got two good whacks. My mom had to come pick me up. It was just not a good day in the rising residence. What did I want, though? I wanted justice. It was just so wrong of him to do that. I gave him something, and he abused it, right? I was trying to do the right thing. We, but listen, if we could be real, and hopefully I think we can, right? We want justice for others and mercy for ourselves, Right, Because I remember going to the office, and I remember laying out my spiel. I remember crying, and they were real tears. This wasn't fake, man, because I knew the thunder was coming, right? And it was not going to be good. Dr. Drew knew how to swing a paddle. They must have gave him, like, many classes on this, right? And so I was terrified. I just wanted mercy. I look back, and I'm like, I'm so glad they smacked me upside the butt, right? It was a good thing because it was justice in that moment. The day, I didn't, the day it happened, I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. But listen, according to Ecclesiastes 8 and the rest of the Bible, there really are only two kinds of people in the world. And I don't mean good people, bad people. I think a lot of times, well-meaning Christians think that way. Like it's some Western, right? How do you know the good people? Well, they're all in white. They got white horses, right? They're all shiny. How do you know the bad people? They're all dressed in black and they look like, uh, right? Something from the Lord of the Rings, which by the way, there's a show coming up this fall. Pretty excited about this. First amen today. Uh, And so listen, listen, you got this war and we think like that, but that's not at all it. It's, it's not all. Everybody's on a black horse. Everyone's. Ugh. There's one man on a white horse. His name's Jesus. And what he does is he he brings people from that ugly, gross, dark team, and he transfers them into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And he makes us white as snow. He makes us white as snow. So really, there's only two types of people in this world: those who are in Adam under wrath; those who are in Christ under grace. That's it. That's it. Mercy is something every human needs. Every human needs redemption. We need grace. We need forgiveness, right? There are those who fear God and those who rebel against God. 
You could break the whole world down like this, right? Now, we don't know who all those people are, but, but what does it say? It's, it, it says that we long for the day that, that there will no longer be evil that is called good or good that is called evil. No longer will, will darkness reign. It, it, light will, will go emanating from Christ all over the land, and it will all be exposed, right? You won't call things that are sweet bitter or things that are, are bitter sweet. We, we, you, you have to get weary of that. You're weary of that. If you're paying attention at all in life, you see injustices every day. And you can do one of two things. You can either turn a blind eye to it, which is sin, by the way. I think sometimes we only think that, that doing the injustice outwardly is the thing that is sin. No, not doing what you ought to do is just as sinful. To see your neighbor in need and to do nothing is sinful, right? And so we see, but we can't fix all the injustices of this world. How can you? If, you? if that's all you did, you would run around and you would die exhausted. You can't do it. So what do you do? You entrust yourself to the one who will. Justice is coming. If thunder would have struck then, I would have thought of ACDC and the book of Revelation. Justice is coming. It's, it's literally, it's a matter of time. I long for it. I hear people outside the faith, even those who call themselves Christian, how can you trust a God who punishes sin in hell forever? I hear Christians say that. And they want to rewrite the Bible. I, I got to tell you, I often wonder when someone says that to me, how can you, how can you trust a God who would not punish sin? I mean, just think about it. If I look this way and bend my neck and turn this way, I could probably see the courthouse, right? It's right there. And, and if you were to have something horrific happen in your family and you were to take your family before a judge and this person who did this great evil against your family is standing there and they don't even hear your case, they bang the gavel and say, it's all good, rubs his head like he's, you know, like five-year-old John, he gives him a little sucker and tells him to go home. How happy would you be with the judge? Well, if you're the guy who got his head rubbed and got a little lollipop, you'd be probably pretty happy. But if you're the family longing for things to be right, you would not. So how much greater is it? You're just not even thinking if you think that you want a God who would not judge sin. You don't. It'd be an unstable world. How could you ever trust that God? He must... God must punish sin, and it's going to either be punished in Christ on the cross, or it will be punished in the person in the lake of fire. I don't say that like, oh, 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 but you've got to know this. Why? Because the word is so clear. You're going to see it throughout Luke. Jesus talks a lot about hell. It's real. So it's Christians, final judgment cannot be avoided. It cannot be avoided, right? The Bible's clear. It's appointed to men once to die, but after this is judgment. Judgment. We all have a divine appointment with our creator. I want to give you the picture that's given to us in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I can't get into all the details of it, but let the word of God speak and just hear what's being said. And I'll give a little bit of thought on it, but that's it. I think it's very clear. So, so here we are, and it's it's this future prophecy, but I think we can see what's going on here. Then I saw a white throne and him, him, King Jesus, King Jesus, who is seated on this throne, right? From his presence, listen, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Now, there's probably metaphoric language here, but it'd be pretty cool to see trees and rocks run. But, but get the point. Everything's running from this moment, right? And there's no place to be found for them. They cannot hide, meaning God sees all. There's no place you can go that he is not there. He, yes, he's omnipresent, but his judgment is sure. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And, and it says, and the books were opened. Um, by the way, these books contain records of everyone's deeds, whether they're good or whether they're evil, because God knows everything that's ever been said, everything that's not been said, everything that's been done, everything that's not been done, and he will reward and punish accordingly. That's what he's meaning when he says about the books being open. But then he says, but then I, another book was open, which is the book of life. Huh. Thank God for the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea had gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, right? So you see this. All humanity, listen, you die a physical death. You're resurrected from your physical death. Your body, your spirit, united. And in that moment, you die a second death, which is eternal, forever, right? If you're not in Christ, that's what awaits all humanity. I don't say that boastfully. That's what would await me had Christ not been kind graceful to save me, to open my eyes, to see the beauty of the good news. I'm not standing here because I'm smart or I figured some things out. I'm standing here because Christ in his kindness saved a sinner. And, and he gave me grace to repent. He gave me grace to trust in him, right? So the only thing that should be emanating from us is not, ha, ha, ha. It's, it's compassion. Why? Because this is what awaits people who don't know his grace and mercy, which is why hopefully you're saying, I want to see churches planted that preach the gospel, that teach the gospel, that, that walk beside people. Why? Because we love these people. Why? Because God loves these people. How do we know God loves these people? He sent his son to die for them. He sent his son to die for you. Have you received Christ? Okay, so you got the second death. And he says, and if anyone's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't think we're going to be cheering in that moment. All the dead are judged. In view of what was written in the books, this includes believers and unbelievers. But listen, by faith, the Christian believes that the day of judgment will come and justice will finally arrive. God's judgment in this moment will set matters right once and for all. Right? So all, listen, all your evil deeds are swallowed up in Christ. They're swallowed up in Christ. You're going to be judged for your good deeds. You're going to see them. It's only going to make his mercy and his grace more beautiful in that moment. Why? Because Christ, imagine if he could play a, a, a clip of your life. Oh, that's evil. That's evil. That thought was evil. That deed was evil. That was evil. That was evil. And every time you said that was evil, Christ says, paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for. I mean, just till they're done. So they're done. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel. You're forgiven, but you're given righteousness. The question is then, have you trusted in Jesus Christ, not your good deeds? I don't think I have to pound on this too hard here. I think we're pretty explicit with this. But I got to tell you, I meet people, and, and anytime I want to know, man, does this person really know Christ? I'll say, tell me about your salvation story. And when I start hearing about all the things they've done, I get real nervous that you don't know Jesus. The only thing you've added is the need for salvation. <laughs> I mean, seriously, oh, God, have mercy on a sinner like me. I got no hope except that Jesus Christ delighted to die to save a sinner like me. Chief of sinners, you, me, right? Jesus, great Savior. Good deeds flow from that. Good deeds do not save you unless you mean Christ's good deeds, which they're perfect right? So, how do I know if my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you trusting in Jesus? Yes, good, then you're good. If you need to work through that, then work through that. But seriously, rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in this perfect life. Rest in his substitutionary death. Rest in the empty tomb. Rest in the fact that he is sovereignly ruling at the right hand of God the Father right now, and he delights in you if you're in Christ. He delights in you. He enjoys you right now right now. Okay, so if that's true, okay, then, 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 then how do we live? What do we do? Okay, look at verse 1 through 6, chapter 9. Because, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, because he's, he's spent a lot of time here throughout this book. But God's people are longing for the day that death is dead, right? Like, I, I think sometimes we, we confuse 1 Corinthians when we say, death, where's your sting? I'm like, I I just had it happen at a friend's funeral. It's the sting's still there. Now, I know the stinger's going to be gone someday here real soon, but it's still here. Ultimately, it's not. Why? Because it was swallowed up in Christ, right? But, but boy, the sting of death is still here. People are still dying. Can you imagine a day that death and decay are no more? Whew. I try. Well, I try to imagine it. 
Um, I try to think on that day, but I don't know if I honestly can, but, but I long for it. Man, when I think about the word homesick in this text, I long for judgment. But I long for God to have so much mercy, and he does. He's full of mercy. He's full of steadfast love. He's full of grace. And take your time, Lord, because there's people I know right now who don't love you, who have not bent their knee, who have not confessed the name of Christ as their Savior. So take your time. Take your time, because I know you delight to save, right? But I long for judgment. I long for death to be done. Well, it's coming. It's coming. Your life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, which means you can hang on. You can hang on. Kevin talked about running this good race, right? Flinging off things that cling to you. Part of the things that cling to us are despondent thoughts about the way things are and not looking to the hope that lies ahead. We have a city that's to come. And it's far greater than this city, even on its best day. Right? Vacation was great, but I was in a single wide trailer for Pete's sakes, right? It wasn't that exciting, right? But we're at the beach, okay? Um, Whatever. Can I just tell you something, though? Even on the best day at the beach, it it pales in comparison. Your future, listen, it sounds so cliche, it sounds so silly, but it's bright. It's so bright. You just got to see. How do you see? You get your head in the clouds. Where are the clouds? Found in the book, right? You see the Word of God. Jesus, who is full of life, and it's abundant. It's not a little bit, and that that life's available now by faith, and you cling to it, and that's called hope because it's sure. It's a steady anchor to rest your soul, right? There'll be a day there will be no more death. I'm going to read one verse from that verses one through six. Listen, it says, but he who is joined to all the living has hope. If you, this, this next line, by the way, I think encapsulates all of Ecclesiastes. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'm going to get a tattoo of that. Um, I'm not kidding. So I love that text. Why? First off, you got to get dog Americanized out of your head, right? Because we love dogs, man. We love dogs way too much. Like, they're in bed with us. We pet them. We give them wonderful little treats. Like, we give them their own bed or they sleep with you, right? Like, but we, we like, I don't say we worship dogs, but I saw some dude pushing his dog in a carriage. If any guy from For the City ever does that, I'm going to disqualify myself. I'm just telling you, I don't know how. I don't want to promise violence on you, but just don't ever do that. Don't have a baby carriage for your dog, please. For God's name and sake and renown, there's no way to magnify Christ doing that. There's just, it's impossible. But I saw it. That's not what they mean here when they talk about a dog. A dog then was a scavenger. Oh, they were despised. They were gross. They hated dogs. But a, but a living dog, that's eh, better than a dead lion. This isn't hard to get. You, this is elementary, man. You get this. Like, lions are majestic. But if it's dead, it ain't the king of the jungle. It's part of the dirt, right? But a dog, he's still alive. He might get some table scraps. What's he saying? You don't have to be amazing in this life. You don't have to be amazing in this life. But there's still hope if you're still alive. What? That you, can, that you can know the goodness of God, that you can trust him. Why? Because he takes care of, he, uh, this breaks down, but he takes care of the scavenger dog who's just so needy. Just so needy. He's like, oh, come on here, I got some scraps for you. He won't put you in a buggy, though. That's stupid. Um, it is. Uh, I'm sorry. If you've done it, repent. Um, this guy's like a broken record, though. His favorite song is that that one thing in life that is certain is death. He just keeps going over it. Righteous and wicked die. Good people, bad people die. Nice, nasty, die. Believer, unbeliever, die. Honest and the lying deceiver, every one of them all go into the ground. That's his song. If you've been listening at all, that's what he's been saying over and over, and it's haunting him. But you can see him coming out of the haze. Oh, you're going to see it in the next two weeks, I promise you. So... What do we do? This begs the question, how should we live then until the day that we die or Christ returns? How do we live? Well, now this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, and it's just so good. (laughs) 
God's people must seek to enjoy their lives. A hard pause. You should really get excited about obeying this command. You should seek to enjoy your lives, not waste it. Not waste it. Look at 7 through 10, chapter 9. Go. Go. And what? Eat your bread. It's like, listen, bread gets a bad rap nowadays. It's like, I want a naked burger, and I just want no bread. Bread, bread, so bad, right? But I got to tell you, I was reminded of how good bread is this week. We went to a restaurant, and they brought out bread with olive oil, butter, cheese, some, I mean, from the Lord, delivered to our table. And the, and the bread was, oh man, it was stunning, right? And you're just dipping it in there, and you're eating, and I'm like, why have I given up bread? I, I'm going to die. I, I, little chub on me, whatever. I mean, eat the bread. I'm telling you, you should eat bread. He's saying, go eat bread. You want to obey the Bible, don't you? Then eat bread. And if it needs to be gluten-free, there's actually decent gluten-free bread. It's not great. It's not great, but it's okay. It's okay, but go eat your bread, whether it's white, whether it's wheat, whether it's gluten-free. And he says, with joy. With joy. Look, with joy. Uh, enjoy the simple things of life. Enjoy the simple things of life. Look at this. And drink your wine with a merry heart. Some of you are like, that's my new life verse. Um, does it really say that? What's it say in the Hebrew? It says, drink your wine with a merry heart. Word on alcohol, real quick. Um, it's a good gift. But because we're broken, we have abused and seen it abused and it have been affected by its abuse, many of us, some more than others. So you may not be able to drink wine, okay? Don't drink wine. And if I'm ever with you and I go to order a cab, tell me, I don't like that. And guess what? I'll never drink in front of you. I'll never, ever drink in front of you. Why? Because I love you more than I love my freedom to enjoy a glass of wine. Christian, don't get drunk. Why? Because it doesn't honor God. There's nothing about drunkenness that honors God, right? Um, but so many times, I think within the Christian church, especially like in Baptist cultures, they do holiness by subtraction. And what I mean by that is you're more holy if you don't drink. Well, maybe. I mean, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, right? So I think, G he, he, listen, in Luke, he's called a drunkard and a glutton, which meant he probably was having a drink and eating food with sinners, which we will find out he did. But they said guilt by association, but he never got drunk and he was never a glutton. But he did enjoy. That's what it meant to bring the kingdom in, in that sense, right? He was saying, this is what it looks like. There's a great banquet coming, right? So, so you can enjoy it if you're free enough to do that. I can tell you right now, before I was, I was saved, I think at 23, I don't have the date like Kevin. It was right in that age range. And I can tell you right now, I need two fingers to tell you how many times I was drunk prior to salvation. This is never a thing for me. This is never a thing for me. I can tell you right now, after being saved, never got drunk, right? I understood that pretty quickly. But I can tell you right now, I, I enjoy a glass of wine. I'm free to do that. But you've got to understand, freedom is freedom to say, I don't need to enjoy that freedom. I can love you more than I love my freedom. So if I'm out to dinner with somebody, and this is a thing because, man, my dad used to be a drunk and beat my mom, and every time I see it, it's like a trigger. I'll never have a drink in front of you. Just tell me. Just tell me. Right? Or I used to be an alcoholic, and anytime I get near it, I just have this craving. We don't ever need to go near a bar or a drink. I mean, whatever. What serves you? That's the posture of a Christian. That's the posture of a Christian. But we do not do holiness by subtraction at For the City. So if you're able to enjoy it and not get drunk, then you can do that. Have one. But if not, then don't. Okay, side verse. That's over. Okay. But listen, for God has already approved of what you do. He doesn't mean evil. But what he's saying is, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Don't, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Oh, you want to talk about slavery. 
wonder what they're thinking. Who cares? Worry about what God thinks. Have audience of one in your sight and in your mind. He knows all. He'll judge all. Yeah, but they're saying this and they're saying that. Well, one day their mouth will be stopped. One day their mouth will be stopped. They used to say bad things about Jesus too. But live above reproach. Live in a way that when someone says, man, what's up with that person? Because it seems as though joy emanates from their heart and from their face. They must have met God. They know how to celebrate. They know how to enjoy, right? All right. And continues. He continues. Let your garments always be white. Um, this is a picture of like pure, clean. Um, I would say cool, right? Because if in, you're in the heat, the cool of the day, this white. What's he saying? Dress up. Dress up. Clean up. Take a, take a bath, right? Let not oil be lacking from your head. Throw on some cologne or perfume or men who have beards. Put a little beard oil on there, right? Rub it in there. Get it all soft. Make it smell nice, right? Um, and he says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. There are seasons it's difficult to enjoy your spouse. Not me. I mean, I don't have that problem, right? The rest of you probably do. Um, no, listen, let's be real. It's difficult at times to enjoy your spouse. My wife would say amen, but she don't want to embarrass me, right? But he says to enjoy life with the wife you love. You love. This does not mean marriage is always easy. And for my single friends, um, I got to tell you, enjoy the church that is your family and prepare for if God desires for you to be married and if you desire to be married, be married, to enjoy community because you've got a practice to celebrate. It's cool to see Emily celebrating, celebrating right? Right? You are out and enjoying your birthday with a friend, and I got to see your pictures, and the food looked fantastic, and the pictures looked fantastic. You're learning how to celebrate. You're learning how to eat. You're learning how to enjoy. Do that in your marriage, men, women, with the wife whom you love, with the husband whom you love. By the way, love is, is not a feeling. We got to get this out of our head. Oh, we got to get this out of our head. Um, if you love your wife only when she's lovable, you can insert husband there, then what you love is not your spouse. It's you love yourself and you love comfort. You, Gabe, hang in there. You love yourself and you love your comfort. If you only love your spouse when they're just g going the way it should be, that is not love. That's love of self. You want to know how you know you love your spouse or your friend or your children? Man, and this is, this is a punch to the gut. It's when they're at their worst, how do you respond? Where do you get that? The gospel. The gospel. Jesus Christ loved you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner. He loved you. How much did he love you? That he would lay his life down for you. When you were great, no. When you were wicked and rebelling against him, he displayed his greatest affection of love, which was dying naked on a cross, spit upon, and, and everyone mocking him with his arms stretched wide open because of love. Love is much more an action than it is an emotion. Your emotions may catch up. It doesn't mean they will. Christ loved you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner. Now he says, now you love. Like what? Like me like me. And if you do that, the world will know you're my people. By what? By the way you love one another. When? When the going gets tough, not when it's easy. It's so easy to love people when they're not making my day a little bit difficult. It's very hard at times to just die of my desire to have things go my way and love you in spite of you. But this is what it means to love enjoy life enjoy life with the wife whom you love it's work it's work but it's fun work take your spouse on a date this is to do this week right dress up put a little beard oil on if you don't have a beard maybe grow one maybe not <laughs> you don't have to wear all white because you look strange if everyone's going out white but you could and then go enjoy your life go and enjoy your life 
all the days of your vain life. That's why I don't like the, the translation of meaningless here. There's nothing meaningless about what he's talking about here. Enigmatic is a much better word. It's the mysterious life. It's, a vain, it's so hard to understand. But enjoy it. Why? Because that is God has given you under the sun because that is your portion in this life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, he's talking about work. Do it with all your might. Work hard. Seek to be content. You don't have to have a career that fulfills all your desires to work hard, to labor, to enjoy, to put in some sweat equity. He, he can bless you to be content whether you're working at Target or whether you're working as a CEO of a company or anywhere in between. Why? Because it's God's gift to you. Work was a gift before the curse. It's just now hard. It's much harder. Why? Because everything wars against you. Nothing goes right. The copier and the machine doesn't work, right? But it's still a gift. And he says, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. All right, we're almost done. What do we do with all this? Well, I think this is an application that I think we can believe and get down with. <laughs> right, go. I, I, my whole week, I just meditated on this verse and sought to obey it. I'm not even kidding. That's what I did. I just sought to enjoy my wife, my bread. I didn't really do a lot of wine. I did enjoy a double oak bourbon um, that I thoroughly enjoyed. And... Um, and I, I, I sought to seize the day, enjoyed a good cigar, right? I, I just sought to enjoy everything as a good gift from God, whether it was rain, whether it was sunshine, whether it was a meal that wasn't that exciting or whether it was. There's a billion ways to apply this passage, by the way. Um, but essentially, it's a call to live your life to the fullest, finding your ultimate satisfaction in Christ. What's Solomon saying? He's saying life is not found under the sun. It's found in the sun. And when you're in the sun, then all of life is wonderful. Even the broken stuff. Why? Because he's going to make it right someday. I don't understand how. I know, but he does. You can trust him. You can trust him with all the broken things of life right now. And enjoy your life. Go get some Wonder Bread. Get some butter. Lather that sucker up. Right? And enjoy it. If you can afford more, you should. Or if Ron will make you some sourdough bread, then you will definitely enjoy that. Because <laughs> it's amazing. Right? True enough. Listen, the world's broken. However, I want you to know, even in the fracturedness, there's beauty. And it's bountiful. I mean, God has created so much goodness even in this broken shattered world if you look you can find it you can see it all the pleasures that you enjoy that are right and given by God are to be enjoyed from the hand of God why because we have a good father we have a good father who loves to lavish love upon his children so make the most of the day that's what he's saying make the most of the day um all right I want you to know I'm going to talk just a tad bit more and we'll be done. This past week on vacation, I, I got to enjoy some of the little joys of life, right? So life under the sun while in the sun was really good. I got some ice cold sweet tea. In the South, they do it right. I told you I enjoyed a cigar, right? Some seafood that was fresh from the ocean. Seagulls soaring above and even the little pelicans that like to hover over the water. And I got to watch them dive right in and grab a fish, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I got to watch the sunset kind of over the island, which makes it look like it's setting over the ocean, even though it's not true because it rises in the east, sets in the west, right? I got to enjoy a smile that was real and not forced from my beautiful daughter, which was the highlight of my week, a tender kiss from my gorgeous wife, um, playing the game of life with three girls who are crazy, um, <laughs> coming home to friends, specifically Eli, just smiling and giving me a hug and saying how good it was to be home and to have me home. And I really enjoyed that. That made my day today. Um, to have these joys, these simple things in life is just a gift. It's just a gift. God is so good. And that's just, the, that's just the icing. You ever want to know about his goodness? Look to the cross, look to the empty grave. But you need to see it's very important to enjoy eating, drinking, dressing up, living, loving. Why? Because it's a picture of what's to come. And there'll be no brokenness there. None. Right? This is at the heart of God. 
Who thought that at the heart of God was eating bread, drinking wine, and enjoying people around the table? That's what we're going to talk about in Luke. It's titled Feast for Failures. You're like, who's the failure? Who's providing the feast? Jesus. And he comes eating and drinking, and he invites us to join him in eating and drinking in a feast that never ends. So here's my encouragement. Ready? Go for a walk this week somewhere that you enjoy, right? Try to watch the sunset, ride a bike, go see the Rocky Mountains. Not all this week, right? But (laughs) go to the movies, go to the movies, learn to play an instrument. I'm serious. Visit the elderly, care for the sick and dying, cook a meal with people that you love, Um, invite people into your home, feed the hungry, watch a football game or UFC with friends. By the way, my man, Rocky, won last night. Can't believe that. Read a book, laugh till you cry, play ultimate frisbee on Monday. Learn to listen to Mozart and Metallica. Sometimes you can listen to them at the same time. Call your family members, write a letter of thanks and encouragement to someone. Go on a date with your spouse, play with your kids, enjoy your teens, spend your money. Give your money generously to the church, not because that like, oh, so they, they can have tons of money. Why? Because if you don't, you will be greedy. More to come in Luke, I promise you. Invest yourself in a church. If it's not this one, make it somewhere. Go and invest yourself somewhere. Share the gospel, travel somewhere new, plan an overseas trip to happen within the next five years. Impact your neighborhood, lay down your life in glad submission to King Jesus and go love somebody. This is what it means to live. This is what it means to live. Yeah, but I don't have all my answers. It's okay, worship Jesus. Trust Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, walk with him. He'll teach you. He'll teach you. He'll increase, you'll decrease. And oh, can I just tell you, there's coming a day when you will enjoy a banquet that never ends with the king. And all the things you don't understand now, they'll come together. I promise you. At the end of the day, I want you to know something. Jesus desires that you enjoy him and the people he's put in your life. That's what he wants. It's not rocket science. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, I don't know if I love myself. Sure you do. I promise you do. You brush your teeth. You take sleep out of your eye. Looks like you all tried to dress. Um, You do. Love your neighbor like that. If you give yourself to love, if you give yourself to love in Christ and your neighbor, you'll not have wasted your life. You not have wasted your life. You give it to anything else, you've wasted your life, I promise you. And you'll die miserable. Why? Because you're created to be a generous giver. Why? Because you're made in God's image. And God's a generous, giving Father. You can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for the gift of Ecclesiastes. Help us to enjoy the life that you've given us in a way that magnifies the great name of Christ. And um, Lord, pour out more of yourself upon us. And when I say more of yourself, I mean just more of, uh, just reveal more of who you are, your goodness, your love, your kindness, your mercy, because when we get a picture of that, we become what we, we behold and we long to become like you more and more like you, less like ourselves. We need much grace to do that. Thankfully, you're the God of all grace. We ask you to do this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples, who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.